Hello, friends. Welcome to The Experiential Table. I'm Cynthia Samanian, your host and creator of Cooking Class Business School. I am all about helping you create and market profitable online cooking classes. Why? Because I 100% believe that teaching online can unlock more freedom, flexibility, and fulfillment in your professional and personal life. Now, as you take your culinary business online, you'll eventually find yourself asking this question if you haven't yet already. And that question is, should I start a blog? This question always gets asked by my students in Cooking Class Business School, and for good reason. Blogs have played a huge part in the food world. Okay, so we're going to take this back to the movie Julie and Julia. Do you remember it? (laughs) It was that movie that inspired me to create my very first food blog back in 2009. And I'm going to embarrass myself here. It was called The Midnight Cook Culinary Adventures After the 9 to 5. Because I was working a corporate job at the time and did most of my cooking basically late at night. Let me just say that I would be mortified to go back and revisit it today. But seriously, blogging is alive and well today. And it's something you may want to consider to grow your online presence. And on top of that, your business's homepage is truly an important part of your website that you absolutely can't neglect. To help us learn more about all things blogs and websites, we are so lucky to have Madison Weatherill on the show today. She's a food blogger turned web designer and is the CEO and founder of Grace and Vine Studios. She has a ton of expert advice to share with us, and we're going to talk about a very special event you won't want to miss later in the show. So let's get started. Madison, welcome to the show. Hey, Cynthia. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I'd love to share a little bit of background info on you and what you do before we dig in. As I hinted at earlier, Madison is no stranger to the world of food blogging. As a food blogger herself, Madison became a web designer and now runs Grace and Vine Studios. She and her team work with food bloggers to turn random page views into raving fans through heartfelt branding and strategic web design. It's no surprise that like you, Madison loves bringing people together through food as well. All right, Madison, I've got to hear your story. How did you go from being a food blogger to actually designing blogs for other food bloggers? Yeah. So the quick backstory of my journey into entrepreneurship is that I, growing up, have been always been someone who loves to have a very full calendar. I love to be busy with lots of activities. And when I graduated from college, I graduated with a degree in graphic design. And I all of a sudden found that with a typical 9 to 5 job, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. And I very quickly got very bored. And so I started wanting to just figure out what I was going to use that extra time for. And this was back in 2012 when you know blogging was very different than it is today. But I followed some blogs and my husband and I were newlyweds. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just start blogging about you know our newlywed journey and just the things that we're learning. And eventually that morphed into a food blog many years down the road. And I was also doing just some design work on the side, anything from like wedding stationery to logo design. And when I decided to move my blog from Blogger to WordPress, I decided I'm going to teach myself how to design my website. I had always wanted to learn web design and I finally had a perfect test case to figure it out. And so kind of the rest is history from there, just learning everything kind of on my own to be able to design websites. And it's come a long way since then. My designs are much better now. 
But it's been kind of a journey in figuring out just how the food blogging world works and how web design works. And eventually, I ended up having to kind of take a step back from my food blog. I had two young boys and was just stretched thin in every way. And I was starting to notice that in the web design world, there was this really big gap of really actionable information for food bloggers who were trying to grow their audience and grow their business without like this burnout and hustle mentality that you see so often in the online space. And so I decided to kind of double down on my web design business. And my food blog still exists. It's still out there, but it's taken sort of a backseat. And it's actually something I'm starting to do a little bit more now. But web design really just kind of took over as something that I was so passionate about helping food bloggers specifically just to be able to grow an audience and grow a business that they were really in love with and that served their family and their life as well. Right. And I have to imagine that your clients love working with you because you know what it takes to have a food blog. I mean, I think that alone sets you apart from so many other designers who could design a website for a real estate agent or (laughs) an insurance company, right? You actually know because you've done it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I mean, I've done websites for a lot of different businesses. And you would think that, you know, kind of niching down and working with only food bloggers would get boring. But I can tell you that every single project that we work on is completely unique. And every single food blogger that we work with is totally unique in their expertise, who they're speaking to in their audience, and like what value they can really bring to the food blogging world. And so it's so fun for us to be able to dig into that and discover that. And then help build a website that really showcases that to people's audiences. So there is never a boring or dull day around here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the world of food is very diverse. And I'm sure, like you said, the people that you work with all have their own specialties, their own voice, their own style. So it's not like you're just copy pasting a template from one blogger to the next. I mean, I've seen your work. It's, It's stunning. And it's so clear that you put a lot of heart and soul into it. Oh, well, thank you. We're just really trying to put the pieces together of you know what these food bloggers have already built and just trying to help them have a presence online that really showcases that same expert level and just really helps them to step into that next level for their blog and really growing it to whatever you know that next goal is for them. So yeah, well, that's great. And like I said, so valuable that you work with food bloggers having done it yourself and still having your food blog. As you know, our listeners, they're all culinary pros. Some of them have food blogs. Some of them don't. Some of them are maybe thinking about starting a food blog. So everything we talk about today is going to be super relevant. And I love, like I said, that you have that expertise in our world of food. Now, let's first start with websites in general, right? And this idea that most of the people listening have a website and perhaps it has some recipes, maybe it has their coaching services, their online cooking classes, but there's some sort of website and there's a homepage that they have. And so I'd love to start talking about the homepage and then we can maybe move on to the blog specifically because everyone has a homepage. So can you help us understand what we should be having on our homepage? What type of content should live on a business's homepage? Yeah, absolutely. So what is really important to understand first before you start thinking about the content itself is really why someone lands on your homepage in general. And this has changed a lot because, you know, back in the day when people started blogs or even just when the internet was a little bit, you know, 
newer, I guess, people would type in, you know, directly to a destination. They would type in, you know, your website name and go directly there. And people had these followerships that, you know, people were loyal fans. They were reading every single blog post, commenting on every single blog post. And there were these really tight knit communities in that world. And now because of just the way that our society is, people are not going directly to sites as often anymore. And, you know, you can probably think of a handful of sites that maybe you go to directly. But even I would say for people like us who are in this space, even our version of how we use the internet is different than most consumers. And so it's really important to remember that people are not generally going directly to your website. Instead, they are searching something on Google or on Pinterest something that they're looking for, whether it's a specific recipe or it could be something else, whatever type of content it is that you might be sharing, they're searching for that one thing, landing on that particular page on your website or that post. And then they're coming to your homepage as a second step. And this is important to remember because you really want to think about why are they going to the homepage after that? Didn't they get what they were looking for when they you know, came from Google and found that page? And so really what they're looking for is they're trying to figure out what is this website all about and does it have something for me? And really they want to know what else they can expect to find on your website. And they know that the homepage is where they can go to find that out. So they're looking for, you know, what other type of content is on this site and really who is behind this website and are they a person that gets me? And these are subtle things that they are thinking subconsciously, but really at the end of the day, your potential fan is looking to see, do I fit into this website? Is there something here for me? And so your homepage really is important to help someone understand if this is a place for them or if it is not. And so many people struggle with this because they want to create something that is for everybody. But if you do that, unfortunately, you're going to end up being really for no one. And so it's okay for your homepage to stand out as being something that is for someone or not for someone. As an example, if I go to a keto food blog and I am not keto and have no interest, I'm not going to stick around. However, if I go to something that fits within line of the dietary needs of my family, then I'm going to stick around and find out what's there. So that's a really basic example of something that might turn someone away from your site or might engage them. And that's really what our homepage is meant to do is help someone get just a really good impression of, is this site for me? Right. That's such a great point that you brought up because sometimes we think of the homepage as, well, it's the homepage. It's my you know, hiddenrhythm.com. Like that's where people are going to go first. But you're so right in this that people are most likely landing on a page within your site, whether it's through Google search or a link that you've shared elsewhere, Pinterest. And so the fact that they're on your homepage after that means that they want to learn more. And like you said, they want to know, like, is this for me? And I love what you shared about not being for everyone because I echo that same belief when I work with my students in cooking class business school and tell them to really hone in on a niche. That's truly the one of the only ways to stand out. So it sounds like that is also something that you echo on your homepage advice too. Yeah, absolutely. Because it really is what they're looking to find out. They want to know, is there something here for me or am I wasting my time? And you know, because people don't know you yet, that is really your opportunity to help them to get to know you and to get to know what your brand is all about. And so you would be surprised at how often I find that people that, you know, I think all food bloggers and, you know, people with these culinary businesses, they have a personal brand aspect to their brand, but so often they don't want to 
kind of put themselves out there as like the face of the brand. And I think that's really a missed opportunity, especially on your homepage, because people want to see who it is behind this content so that they can understand just and visualize like how this all works together. And so having something that allows someone to connect to your story on your homepage is really important. And I think people also don't realize that there's such a short amount of time that you have to be able to convert someone. And it isn't even converting them from like, they don't know you at all to your biggest fan. It's one step in that process of just being like, okay, I'm going to trust this person for a minute and see if there's something else here that I could get something out of. Because our world is so busy that people are not going to browse websites the way that they used to. If they want to browse something, they're going to go to social media or they're going to go to Pinterest. So if you really want to start helping these random page views and random people on your site to become those loyal fans, you have to give them something to connect with and grab onto within a very short amount of time when they land on your homepage. That absolutely makes sense. So what are those things? Like tactically speaking, if you were going to coach someone on their homepage, what three things would you be looking for? Really, there are a lot of things that you could do with your homepage, but sort of the non-negotiables for any brand and especially any brand that is in kind of this food space is that you want to share some sort of relevant content on your homepage. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in a little bit. But it's important to share content on your homepage because it really will help someone to either get an idea of, again, what the site is all about. If I can just at a glance see you know, 4 to 10 recipes on your homepage, I'm going to know maybe what type of recipes you share if you have a niche that's something dietary specific or you know uses certain ingredients and that's going to really help me to see a very quick yes or no is this for me the second thing is an introduction to who's behind this website and you want to have it doesn't have to be the most professional headshot in the world but you want it to be reflective of who you are it can be something that's fun with you in the kitchen or something like that but it's something that will give people a picture into who you are. And you know, I always like to have people have that section have their about photo, you know, their headshot, a little bit of a blurb about who they are and then a link to their about page where they can learn more about, you know, who you are and how you can help this person. And then lastly, the last important thing to have on your homepage is an invitation. And this invitation is really an invitation for them to get on your email list. And it's usually done with a strategic freebie that can really help this person with what they're struggling with. But you want to give people a way to sort of stay in touch because again, people move too quickly in this world. And so if you are not able to capture them onto your email list, there's a really good chance that they might never remember your brand name or remember what it was that they searched for to get to your site in the first place. And so it's really that ability to take someone from step one to step two in order to get them to be within your brand story, really. Right. And so with that, I think we've all seen different variations of it. There's like, join my newsletter, subscribe to get recipes. One of the things that I teach is the concept of a freebie, right? Where if you're giving them content, a downloadable guide or access to a video in exchange for their email address and that piece of content that they're getting helps really solve a pain point or a problem or fulfill a desire that they have. So is that something that you see a lot of your clients do as well? Yeah, absolutely. And something that I tell my food bloggers that I work with a lot is that people are not just looking for more recipes. And unfortunately, it's kind of been the industry standard or unspoken industry standard to do an ebook as a freebie. Uh, and an ebook... Don't get me started, Madison. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page as that. So your audience probably knows. But yeah, 
Ebooks are really enticing for people to sign up for and download, but they are not going to take action. And really what you want someone to do is to be able to get that quick win so that they can trust you because they don't know anything about you and they want to trust you. They're intrigued and they want to be a part of what it is that you're doing on your website, but they aren't quite ready, you know, to give you money for a cooking class or to, you know, sign up for a course that you might have if you're a food blogger. And so the freebie really helps them to get that quick win and then stick around for more. And it gives them an opportunity to start remembering what content you share and you know who you help and how and all of those types of things. So I generally recommend... This isn't a must-have on your homepage, but I usually have two different places to sign up for an email list. And one is that freebie. And then generally I do at the bottom, if someone like has kind of scrolled through your whole homepage and they haven't taken any action, at the very bottom, you can do sort of the never miss a recipe or never miss a post type of sign up. And that is just a good way to kind of catch those people who they've been interested, but they just haven't taken that action yet. So it gives them that final opportunity to do that. But I have found that those you know, strategic freebies that really serve the audience are going to be much more effective in not only conversions onto your email list, but also just people who are going to care about what it is that you do. Right. Absolutely. I tell my students that it's a good filter. So if someone is interested in the topic of the freebie and that's aligned with everything else you do and what you teach, then if they signed up for it, that's great. And the people who haven't signed up for it, who saw it and were like, "Mm, this isn't for me, that's also really good because now you're not wasting your time marketing to people who don't care or want what you offer. So yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I also... <laughs> the ebook thing, I couldn't help but we just be so excited because I think as people in the culinary world, we feel this desire to give, give, give. And it's like, well, we have all this content and we have all these recipes, but you actually are doing a disservice to your audience because they're not going to consume it all. And they might just download it. And like you say, it'll collect digital dust and they'll remember, oh yeah, I have that ebook for 30 smoothie recipes, but is it truly helping them? Is it truly helping solve the problem that they came to you for? In most cases, not. So I'm happy to hear we're on the same page there. Yeah. And I actually love that example. And I think what would be more helpful to your reader, it's kind of the whole... I can't remember the proverb or whatever that comes like, instead of giving someone a fish, you teach them how to fish. So in the smoothie example, instead of giving your reader 30 recipes, teach them how to make a smoothie. Teach them what components go into making a good smoothie. So that they get that quick win. And I mean, unless your blog or your business is all about smoothies, you know, that might solve their problem a little bit too much. But generally speaking, that's probably not your whole business. So if you give them that quick win, they're going to just want to keep coming back to find out, well, what else can Cynthia teach me? What else can I learn from her? Because if she helped me with this one problem of, you know, getting a quick breakfast into my family before they're off to school, you know, they're going to want to keep coming back rather than the 30 page download that I never looked at. So I love that we're in agreement on that. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that you mentioned as a must-have was recipes. And so, you know, there are people listening who have a lot of recipes and are willing to share them, but they may not have the same volume as say a traditional food blogger. So if maybe they have a few of their best recipes, they could put that on their homepage. Is there something else content-wise that you think they could put on the homepage to help build that trust with the audience? 
Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I often have to convince my food blogging clients to produce content that is not recipes because recipes tend to come very easily to food bloggers. But I think there's a lot of value in sort of the supplemental content that you might need around the content of the actual recipe. So I think there's so many opportunities for you to be able to share content that is not recipe specific. Things like, again, like how to make a smoothie. What are the components that go into a good smoothie instead of one specific smoothie recipe? Or maybe it's something like how to meal plan or how to grocery shop. And you know, just really thinking about what are the problems that your audience is facing on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? And how can you create content that gives them at least one part of that solution? You know, Whatever struggle it is that you solve within your business is going to be much bigger than any one piece of content. But if you can take it and you know chunk it down into bite-sized pieces and create content around those specific topics then that is absolutely things that you can showcase on your homepage as well and you know i think the best homepages are not just one type of content it's not just recipes or it's not just one category of recipes if you're a food blogger it's really creating this dynamic experience on your homepage where someone can get a really good sense of what your website is about and also be able to find what is relevant to them because you know most of your kind of ideal audience members are going to be interested in some parts of your content but not all of it and so you want to create this experience where it's really easy for me to see what your site is all about and then it's easy for me to pick and choose which parts I want to be a part of by clicking into you know further parts of your website that makes perfect sense Okay. So now that we've covered the homepage, which like I said, I think it's so important because no matter whether or not you have a blog, you probably have a homepage or you want to have a website with a homepage. I'm glad we covered that. Now, let's say that you want to take things to the next level and you are considering starting a blog. Let's first talk about why a blog is important for business owners to think about, especially in the food space. Absolutely. So the first reason is really that whatever other content you might be creating right now, because most likely if you are running any type of business, you're creating content somewhere to attract people to be part of your brand. And unless you're sharing that on your own website, that is content that you don't own. So social media could go away tomorrow. I mean, it's very unlikely, but it could happen. We never know. Or, you know, algorithms can change tomorrow and all of a sudden you're reaching no one with your content. And so your blog really gives you a space to be able to control the content that, you know, is within your own brand. And it's something that, you know, yes, you have to run it and maintain it, but at the end of the day, it's in your ownership and responsibility. And really a blog or creating any sort of content, which really is all that a blog is, is just where your content lives, is a really awesome way to help someone to understand what you're an expert in. So if I come to your homepage or your website, wherever I'm landing on your site, it helps me to understand based on what content you're sharing, what you know about. So if you're a food blogger, you're an expert at creating a specific type of recipe, whether that is a specific diet, a specific type of ingredient that you use, or just, you know, I've had a lot of clients who are like seasonal content bloggers. So they share a lot of seasonal recipes with fresh ingredients or comfort food recipes, whatever it is that is your specialty. You are an expert in that. If you are something like a registered dietitian, you're going to be an expert at helping your clients to create a plan for their nutrition and health goals. So your blog is really where all of that expertise can live. And it is the biggest way for you to help someone to trust you. And we've all heard of kind of the no like and trust factor. And your blog is really what is going to over time help someone to know, like, and trust you and, you know, hopefully ultimately 
turn into some sort of revenue for you, depending on how your business is built. Yeah. And I think it's a great opportunity for you to share what's different or how you're different, right? That's always something that I'm working with my students and greater community on is understanding like what makes you different. Because every single culinary instructor, every single food blogger, I mean, every single person, we're all different. We have a different story that brought us into food and a different perspective on you know what we teach, how we teach, all of that. So from what I'm hearing, a blog is also a great place to share those stories and share what sets you apart while also building that authority through educational content, whether it's recipes, tips, etc. Absolutely. And I think some people, maybe they're hearing me say like, oh, you're an expert in this. Like some feelings of, you know, just self-doubt came up, like, oh, I'm not really an expert. But you have to remember that even if you're just two steps ahead of your reader, like to them, you are an expert because you don't have the same struggle that they have in this current moment. And so just being a couple steps ahead of somebody, you are really able to help them to get over whatever it is that they're struggling with. Because either you've been there or you've trained to like learn how to help someone get over that struggle. You have some sort of expert knowledge. And through writing you know, really strategic content that is going to serve that person, you're really able to step in and start to help them. And you know, I've mentioned it a few times already that you're not necessarily going to be for everybody with your content. So even if someone comes to one blog post of yours and they get something out of it, that's a win because you were able to help that person. But hopefully in that, you know, with writing strategic content and being really thoughtful about the way that you're putting content out there, you're able to really, like you said, start to set yourself apart and start to help people to take hold of what it is that you have to share because it's helpful for them. Not everybody is going to be that raving fan. But really, when you have your website structured in a way that helps people to convert into your audience, and then you're writing really strategic content, you're just setting yourself up for success to be able to convert the right people into those raving fans. Because we don't want to just have these huge audiences of people that you know are like 1% into what we're doing. We want these people who are all in with what we're doing, who are going to sign up for your cooking classes, come back for every recipe that you share cheer you on on social media when you have a tough day. Like Those are the types of audiences that we want to build. And a well-designed website and strategic content can really help you to do that. 100%. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm just nodding my head being like, yes, that's what we want, right? It's not about having tons of visitors to your site. I'd rather have fewer visitors that were just gung-ho, like you said, cheering me on, excited about what I was creating because it was helping them in their lives. So I love that. And I think our listeners are, are going to really connect with that message as well. So you talk a lot about strategic content. You've mentioned it a few times. So how do we know that we're creating content that's strategic? How do we create content that actually connects and resonates with our audience? I think there's two parts to this. And the first really is knowing what your goals are for your business. Because as you were talking about, you know, we don't want a ton of random people on our sites or whatever. You know, for a lot of food bloggers, the goal is traffic because you're monetized through ads. And so if that's the case, then you know, then that's okay. Maybe you do want to have like this big audience that you don't need to have this deep connection with. But I think for a lot of the clients that we work with, you know, they have a high level of traffic coming to their blogs already, but they're really looking to figure out what's next for their blog. So for them, it might be, you know, creating a cookbook or even creating a course that they can help their audience with a specific struggle. And so you really do need to get clear on kind of the business model that you have or that you want to have, because that will help you to understand really like how big do I need my audience to be? And then once you have an idea of that, 
am I really trying to build this loyal audience, which I think most of the people probably listening to this episode are, then you have to get really clear on what it is that your audience is struggling with. And I mentioned it earlier, but I truly don't think that the general population is struggling to find a recipe. If they want to find a recipe, they're going to go to Pinterest or Google. So that's not what they're on your site for. But you want to really think about why did they come to your site or why did they search that specific recipe? Is it because they needed a 15-minute dinner to enjoy with their family before they went to soccer practice? Did they need a nutritious breakfast before they went to work for the day? Really thinking behind that search intent is going to help you start to figure out what that problem is for your audience. And something that comes up in almost every single strategy call that I have with our clients that we work with on web design is, well, how do I know that? How do I know for sure what they're struggling with? And some of this is speculation. You're going to have to experiment a little. And sometimes it's even just thinking back to when you were in this situation. Maybe it was a couple of years ago before you started your blog. You know, you were struggling with cooking healthy recipes on a budget. And so these are the things you were struggling with. And assuming that maybe your audience is struggling with that too. But I think at the end of the day, you have to, like I said, experiment a little bit and see what content resonates with your people. And so while your content might live on your blog, you might be having conversations with your audience members through your email list or through social media. And that's how you're trying to figure out, like, is this resonating with my audience and helping them with that struggle? Because really, once you figure out what your audience needs, creating content becomes so much easier and the ideas are just going to flow once you really get clear on what it is that they're struggling with and why they need your blog or your business as a solution. So what are some ways that you have helped your clients or even in your work as a food blogger to identify what it is that they're looking for? Because I mean, I guess you could see what's trending on Pinterest and kind of follow where everyone else is going. But like you said, you have your own unique voice as a culinary professional creating content. So how do you think about where to get inspiration from your audience when you're creating content? Yeah. So the first way is to really start thinking about what's already performing well on your site. So if you do have content already on your site, look at what has performed well already. And even if it is traffic that's coming from Pinterest or Google, again, you can really think about why would someone be searching for this particular recipe or this particular blog post. And then start to just think about what is the problem that they're having that leads them to searching this? Because most of the time, it's not just going to be, oh, I had a random craving for mac and cheese. It's because I'm looking for you know the nostalgia that comes from eating mac and cheese like I did when I was a little girl eating it with my grandmother. You know, It's piecing together that story for your audience. And you can also, if you don't have a lot of content created already, you can start to think about what your audience or your client's or the people attending your cooking classes, what questions are they asking you? Mm. And I highly, highly recommend just keeping things written down somewhere because you might hear a question and be like, well, that was a really easy question to answer. But you might find over time, there's a trend to the questions that people are asking you. And it will help you to create content in the future if you know what kinds of questions people are asking you. Things like, are people asking you what types of tools to use or what type of spices to use? Or are they really asking for the basic information? Like they don't know how to dice an onion or saute something? Or are they looking for that next level? Because that can help you to understand where does my audience fall on their skill level when it comes to cooking specifically? Because most of the people you know that are in your audience, they're sharing content that helps people to cook in some form or fashion. And so I think it's important to understand 
are these people brand new to cooking or are they like experienced chefs that are looking for a new and exciting recipe to try on a Saturday when they have five hours to cook? So those are really good just indicators of who your audience is and what they're struggling with as a whole. And then I think, again, you're going to kind of have to speculate, but I think the best way to take it from just, I think this is something my audience would like to knowing for sure is to ask them. And this is something that a lot of people kind of like have that grimace face whenever I tell them (laughs) because they're like, wait, what do you mean talk to my audience? And so this can be social media or it can be your email list. You can end every email with a question that people can reply to. Or my absolute favorite way is to get on a quick call with a couple of your audience members. And wait, like on the phone on a real... Yes, I know. I know. Oh my gosh, Madison, how how could you (laughs) even dare to propose that? (laughs) I know it's craziness. But honestly, I think you would be surprised at how many people would be willing to do that because you know especially those raving fans that you already have because it doesn't matter how big your brand is you have a few of them and even if it's your friend or your neighbor or your mom like there's still people who can help you understand what your audience might need and so getting on the phone asking a few questions to them to understand you know what they're struggling with around your content you don't want to just say what are you struggling with in your life but you know what are you struggling with with getting dinner on the table or with finding new recipes you know when you're looking for a recipe on Pinterest what is attracting you to click on a recipe is it that it's quick to make is it that it has a certain dietary need you know what is it that attracts you and just finding those things out because you know, not every single person in your audience will be the same. But when you can start to understand a small portion of your audience, you can kind of broaden that view to understand what probably a lot of your audience is struggling with. And then as you create more content that fits within that, you'll build an audience that you know has that same struggle and resonates with those ideas. So sometimes you kind of have to start and kind of go in faith that it's going to resonate with your people. And you'll know very quickly if it resonates with people or it doesn't because it will either gain traction or it won't. So those are kind of my tips for figuring out what your audience is looking for. But I think at the end of the day, the quickest way you're going to find that out is by asking them. That's great advice. And I think just so valuable, not only when it comes to creating content for your blog, but for your business as a whole. I mean, this is something that I encourage my students to do. And I call them ISA calls, which is ideal student avatar calls. And it's you getting on a phone call or a Zoom video call and actually having a face-to-face conversation with that person who's in your community who is excited to learn from you and you know whether to help you figure out content for your blog or to figure out what online cooking class you should create next you can just get so much value from those conversations but i do know that people listening are like oh that sounds terrifying <laughs> i know i know it does but it's easier than you think and honestly it would take 5 or 10 minutes for you to get so much insight into what you could do to help this person and you know you can incentivize them with a Starbucks gift card or let them come to your next, you know, cooking class for free. Like you don't even have to do those things. Most of the time they're going to just be excited to it's almost like a fangirl moment for people right? sometimes. They're like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, my favorite blogger like wants to talk to me." You know, and then most people are kind and they will help you and they're excited to be able to be a part of your brand. And so I think it will surprise you if you reach out. And it can even just be on like Instagram DMs. You can just reach out to people who comment on your recipes or engage with your stories and just be like, Hey, can I ask you a few questions about what you like about my content or what resonates with you? And go from there. Just kind of be human and just talk to people as if you were talking to them face-to-face sitting down for coffee. And you will probably glean so much insights into the different ways that you can help your audience. 
Yeah. And I think that's where we can take advantage of the fact that we are small business owners. Many of us are solopreneurs. And so while our time is limited and we don't have these big teams who can do these things for us, the fact that you are reaching out to someone who has been opening your emails or following you on Instagram, they know who you are. And for you to personally reach out to them can go a really long way. And I think that personal touch is something that we can take advantage of as small business owners, whereas you know bigger corporations that send those awful surveys via email, they just go straight to spam or I delete them right away. But when you send something that's personal and heartfelt, I think people are more receptive to that. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even if you do want to just send like a little survey out, I did that pretty recently just to get some demographic information about my audience. And I had over a hundred people that submitted. I was actually shocked by how many people submitted it. So you could also utilize things like Instagram features like polls and stories just to get to know your audience. And, you know, you can have fun with it and ask the question, do you like dogs or cats better? And then maybe the next (laughs) question is more hard hitting. You know, do you struggle with making breakfast or dinner more? Things like that to kind of get people used to you asking these questions. And then I think over time, you build up this reputation of being someone who cares and who listens. And you'll be surprised by how many people will start to just share with you, even without you asking and just you know giving you their thoughts on what it is that you could produce to help them. And so I think you have to just kind of build up this uh, reputation, like I said, about just you being someone who's willing to listen to your audience and you know adapt your content to help them. And the other thing that is helpful with this idea is, again, with experimenting, not everything has to be permanent. You can write a blog post that you decide to delete later because it just did not meet the needs of your audience. Or you can go small and do an email first or do a social media post that you know is going to go away before you invest the time to create a blog post about something. But I think there's so many ways to reach our audience. We just need to be more intentional about you know how we want to do that. That makes total sense. And so... I should have asked this question earlier, but it just came to my mind now. I think when we talk about blogging, there is a bit of hesitation when some people perhaps think that they've missed the boat, right? That blogging, if you didn't get in five, six, 10 years ago, then it's impossible to have a successful blog today. Now, my guess is that you perhaps disagree because you work with bloggers all the time who may have, you know, maybe new, but. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think the market's too saturated and that if you're not on board now, it's too late? Absolutely not. And I will say that I think if you feel that way, you probably haven't gotten specific enough about the type of content that you want to share. And I want to share an example of a client that we're working with right now. She started a second blog last year, January 2020. It was a sourdough blog. And within 4 months, her site reached a million page views. And if that's not an example of somebody, you know, you could say she was late to the game in starting a blog, you know, so late into people being into sourdough or just people making bread. And the timing obviously helped a lot with quarantine and all of that. But yeah, I mean, she has a crystal ball. That was pretty She must have. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, that just shows that anyone can start a blog and have it be successful these days. And honestly, I think bloggers these days have an easier time than the dinosaurs like me who started a long time ago because you know so much more now and there's so many more resources now than there were back then. And so 
I would say if you feel like it's too saturated and I don't have anything unique to share, I think I would really encourage you to dig deep on what it is that you can help people with because every single person listening to this podcast has something unique that they can help people with. And I actually have a branding foundations guide and it's part of what we walk our clients through in our process of working with them before when we're doing their branding and website design. And it will essentially help you to discover that unique factor for your brand and also like who your ideal reader is so that you can help you know, figure out what they're struggling with and put all these pieces together. So I'll have that available for anyone who wants to download that over at my website, graceandvinestudios.com slash table, because it's just a really helpful guide that, like I said, will just help you put all those pieces together and hopefully help you to see that it is not too late for you to start and have a successful blog if you are willing to figure out what your unique point of view is. That's fantastic. Thank you for generously sharing that guide with us. So if our listeners want to learn more about you and the work that you do at Grace and Vine, so they can get that free guide that you mentioned, where else can they go to learn more? I'm guessing you have a beautiful homepage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you want to learn just about kind of my business and how we work with clients, you know, food bloggers like you and culinary professionals like you, you can go over to graceandvinestudios.com. I also have a podcast called The Vine Podcast. And really, my podcast is all about the tips and strategies to grow your food blog, but without the hustle and burnout that so often comes from this industry. And just really helping you to build a business that serves your life and not the other way around. So um, like I said, that's called thevinepodcast.com. And then in terms of social media, I'm most active over on Instagram at Grace and Vine. Fantastic. And before I let you go, we have a few more things. First off, my golden question. I couldn't let you go without asking you this question, but I would love to know, what is the single most important element of an incredible website experience? I love this question. And I think if I had to choose, obviously, there's so much that goes into a website design and especially one that checks all the boxes and converts well. I think the most important thing is really anticipating the needs of your reader and being able to really craft a journey through your website that helps your reader get from the point where they know nothing about you and they are struggling to slowly taking one step towards you know the life that they want to have and the way that they want to be. So I think that's just so important to really think about that journey through your website and how you want someone to move through it instead of it just feeling like it's just random and it's just content that's there. You really can create that customized experience for your readers once you get clear on a few things like who they are and what they're struggling with. That is a fantastic answer and perfectly sums up everything that we chatted about today, Madison. Okay, so now we can talk about it. <laughs> I hinted at it earlier in our quick intro that there is a special event coming up. And so I'm going to let you tell our listeners what you have in the works. And then I'll share some more information on how they can get signed up. Yeah, absolutely. I am super, super excited to share that we are hosting the third round of the Food Blogger Summit this October. And we have done this twice before, but this time we are really focusing on helping sort of those intermediate to advanced food bloggers or culinary professionals who are really looking to take their blog to that next level and maybe feeling a little unsure about what that next level means for them. Or maybe they know what that next level is, but they really need help with stabilizing their business to be able to help them to get there. And so these food bloggers are already successful in their food blog and they're looking to increase their income and their impact through their blog. So we have a handful of amazing experts like you, Cynthia, who are going to be talking <laughs> about just all kinds of different strategies from SEO 
to you know having online cooking classes, to writing cookbooks, all kinds of things to take your business to the next level. So again, that's called the Food Blogger Summit. And it's going to be in October. And registration is going to be open now when you're listening to this episode. So you can head over to thefoodbloggersummit.com to register. Awesome. Thank you. And finally, everyone, if you are a fan of the Experiential Table podcast, if you loved this episode and others like this, then please share the love by giving us a rating and review wherever you're tuning in. It goes such a long way in helping our podcast grow and reach more culinary pros. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next week, get excited to get experiential. 